Aloha, everyone. On behalf of Domino's Hawaii, we wanted to take a moment to thank our team members for working through these trying times. And we wanted to thank our community for not just supporting us, but most importantly, supporting each other amid this climate of change and continued uncertainty. It is difficult to fathom some of the recent tragedies that have occurred, but what we can do collectively is aspire to be better for one another. We don't want to disrupt this message by taking time to promote some meaningless special. All that can be found on our website or app. Instead, once again, mahalo for your strength and your character. And we look forward to our very special community here in Hawaii getting back to work and making the world a better place. And with that, let's talk sports. Hey, what's up, Jordan? It's been a crazy week in the world of sports, a remarkable week for a number of different reasons. Uh, but we warm things up as we like to do, even amid times where the subject matter could potentially be a little bit more serious. I think it's still worthy here on this podcast to kind of warm things up, ease into things. This is our 35th episode, and it just feels like we're getting into those numbers where like every episode number is like, wow, this is kind of remarkable unto itself that we've reached this far. Uh, and so being it's the 35th episode of the show, give me your favorite all-time jersey number 35 in sports. Yeah, I remember when we got to two and I thought that was a big deal uh, <laughs> when it came to episode. Like, hey, we might actually have something going here. Uh, my 35, uh, Frank Thomas, the mm. big hurt. I'm going with the big hurt. I'm a Cubs fan, but as a as a guy who played in Chicago, uh, I really appreciate Frank Thomas, just kind of the dude he was. Plus, he's doing that uh, testosterone thing where he's just still jacked at, like, I don't know how old he is now, 55 or something. Uh, so he's just an inspiration, really. That's how I hope to be when I hit, like, north of 50, uh, is to look somewhere near what Frank Thomas has. But the, over 500 home runs. He's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I'm, going, I'm going with the big hurt. He's my favorite 35. Yeah, that's a good one. You're right. Uh, war number 35 and actually still looks like he's 35 because of that product that you're referring to, which a uh, guy my age would know exactly is Nugenics. All right. So my favorite number 35, clearly it's NHL goaltender Pekka Come on. Consider me a member of the Pekka peeps. That's right. Um, no, I, I would probably go with Frank Thomas as well. Ricky Henderson wore number 35 kind of mm -hmm. early on in his career. Kevin Durant wore number 35 in OKC in Golden State. I think he's seven with the Brooklyn Nets, but um, I'm definitely not picking Kevin Durant for reasons that have been well established for anybody that's listened to the radio show or this podcast. Uh, so I'm probably with you. I, I, I like me some Frank Thomas, the big hurt. And uh, hey, look, if he can help me age more gracefully through the products that he's endorsing, uh, I am all for supporting Frank Thomas. <laughs> All right, we welcome you to another episode of the show, Let's Talk Sports, with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley. And we got uh, one of your guys, Jordan, a guy you sort of introduced to the show, and now he has become a regular guest for us and one of our favorite guys to talk to, Matt Humans, editor for the Vegas Stats and Information Network. He's also an ESPN sports betting contributor over there in Vegas, uh, and at the forefront in many ways of, of this metamorphosis that has really transformed how sports gambling is accepted in the mainstream media and really just mainstream in general in this country. Uh, and so we are interested in asking him how all of this that has happened in the world of sports as it pertains to COVID, as it pertains to what has been this strong movement on the social front, how it has impacted 
sports from the Vegas perspective? Because you're talking about people who are putting up hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of bets on the daily on games that may or may not be played, on future bets that may or may not be pan out. Uh, and so I'm very interested to see how Vegas is dealing and coping with some of this uncertainty in the world of sports. Yeah, I think Vegas, right, it's sort of this very black and white view of sports, right? It, it is very numbers-based. It, it, there, there's not a lot of nuance when it comes to looking at the sports world through that lens. Uh, so it's always kind of interesting, right, to, to explore some things. Uh, of course, the Raiders are making their debut in Vegas. Um, and then also just the similarities, right, for us in Hawaii and Vegas and just being such hospitality-based uh, economies and I think a lot of similarities there. Uh, I think a lot of the things that they're experiencing in Vegas are, are pretty familiar to the folks here in the islands. And he, as always, will provide us with a few little nuggets that uh, may tickle your thirst for a, a good sports bet opportunity. That's, uh, that's something that he also brings to the table. And he's also kind enough to present for us free of charge, right? The number one lock of the year. He always gives it to us uh, <laughs> free of charge. It is game time. Time to get into our game time discussions. The day the world of sports stood still. Uh, following the viral video of Jacob Blake being shot in the back multiple times by police officers in Kenosha, Wisconsin, the Milwaukee Bucks players led the way in what turned into a league-wide, call it a boycott, protest, strike, uh, in the middle of the playoffs. The WNBA then followed suit. Several Major League Baseball teams, remarkably enough, followed suit. You don't usually see necessarily those kinds of demonstrations take place in Major League Baseball, and heck, even the NHL, which I don't think anybody mistakes for being a league that strongly represents the cause of an organization or a movement like Black Lives Matter, the NHL teams were among those to join in this protest or boycott or strike, whatever you want to refer to it as. And so, Jordan, the first question here as it pertains to this topic, and obviously, just like me, you're not a guy of color who uh, has no experience being a person of color growing up in the United States. So you're the perfect guy to ask. What was your reaction to an absolutely remarkable couple of days in the world of sports? Yeah, I think remarkable really is a, a, an apt description of just what transpired in the last, you know, as we record this on a Friday morning, right, 48, uh, 72 hours or so. in just the way the sports world came to a stop uh, at the at the the hands and the means of the players, right? The, these are players who have a position to speak out. These are players uh, that have a position to have their voice heard. Uh, and we heard that, right? And some of the concerns, especially in the bubble, right? I think a lot of things bubbled over um, in Orlando, uh, where a lot of the frustrations were heard. I mean, guys, you know, it, it's tough, right? It's a sacrifice to go in there. And, and of course, so much of the concern going in was, hey, we don't want our message to be muted in any way from prior to the NBA restart when it came to social justice and when it came to pushing forward in the wake of, of the George Floyd tragedy in Minneapolis. And so a lot of these things bubble over, right? And, and we are in such a uh, crossroads of a time, I think, within just greater American society and even beyond that, right? You bring in the NHL, those teams are sequestering in Canada. I mean, that's north of the border. That's outside of the United States. And so I, I do think it was a monumental day, historic day where 
everybody pressed pause, right? In, in one form or another, some games were still played in different sports. We, we know that. And, and uh, even yesterday, on Thursday, some games were, were not held, uh, especially in Major League Baseball, the NHL postponing some of their playoff games. So it, it, it was remarkable in a sense where in mass – professional athletes across the country, across North America, demanded to be heard in a very loud way. And maybe it was a little disjointed, right? We heard some of the developments that came behind closed doors in the NBA when it came to, hey, maybe the Bucks kind of went out and, and I hate to use the term blindside, but just, just did it without the knowledge of the other teams having, um, you know, been privy to what their decision was going to be. But, it, but in a sense, it was very organic, and it led to a lot of good discussion. We already have seen some of the concrete steps that have come out of that from the NBA, the joint statement from the NBA and the Players Association when it comes to, to mobilizing voting centers, when it comes to getting people registered to vote very I think concrete, tangible steps, because I think at this point, right, it has been months and months and, and this has kind of come to a head here again. Um, absolutely unfortunate that it came because of another, you know, officer involved shooting with a person of color um, that steps, right? I think a lot of people want to see, and the players more than anybody, I think, who are representing a, a voice of so many more who don't have that opportunity, um, action, right? They want to see action. They want to see something happen. The Baltimore Ravens calling for legislation to be heard in the United States Senate, like the, the highest body <laughs> in the land. Um, the NBA speaking out on voting rights. Uh, the WNBA speaking out on a lot of different issues. And so I, I, I think tangible action coming from this seems to be a momentum building type of thing, something that actually is going to happen. And I think that is the best thing that can come out of this is, is actual, actual action and not just talk and not just, you know, Hey, let's sit down and, and uh, you know, shout at the top of our lungs or something like that. The, the tangible nature of some of these conversations, I, I think has been very encouraging uh, when it comes to what we've seen over the last couple of days. Yeah, because anybody can sort of yell and, and proclaim that there is a need for change, right, in a very general term. I, I think we are all in agreement that things can and should change. Uh, but what is that change? What is the desired change specifically? And I think even critics of demonstrations like this have asked, hey, look, yeah, you can ask about change and you can say that you need change, but really, does anybody present any ideas about what that change looks like? And here you have, in the form of the NBA, with this unified message, collaborative message with both the players involved, front offices of the league, the executive arm and branch of the league, who are all in unison saying, yeah, here is a list of some of the tangible steps that we are taking, prompted by the players assuming their authority, right? And their leverage in this whole thing. A lot of people were questioning the wisdom behind, well, if they walk off the floor, what is that really accomplishing? Because that floor represents in literal and otherwise terms the platform right the platform for these players to get this message out it says black lives matter on the floor and so if they walk off that floor what are they really accomplishing i heard that question from a lot of people who were sort of criticizing the decision made but i think what you saw was this this action taken by players the action of inaction 
that apply pressure on the ownership of those teams to then comply with the idea of, all right, let's get involved ourselves. Let's not just have it be the players wearing some phrase on the back of their jersey and the exposure that comes from that and, and whatever possible thoughtfulness is provoked or sparked by that. Now it is on us because the players have forced our hand because we have to realize that the players are the labor force. They're the money makers. They are the superstars of this superstar marketed and driven league. They have now forced us in the capacity in which we sit to then take steps to walk alongside them here. Uh, and so I, I think that that is extraordinary, just really incredible in what it then led to, right? The domino effect of the WNBA and, and all of the players in the league basically sitting together to make that statement. And then I think what you saw was that trickle over into Major League Baseball. And hey, look, we can credit Major League Baseball on a day that we're recording this where Jackie Robinson is being celebrated for breaking the color barrier in professional sports and, and doing so much for the discourse of race and race relations in this country. But make no mistake, Major League Baseball has not necessarily been associated with demonstrations like this. Here's Major League Baseball and several teams in Major League Baseball who decided to take part in this. And I think that one of the things that I saw over the course of, of the restart of the NBA, you saw a lot of people, critics, saying, hey, look, I'm not going to watch the NBA anymore. You know, NBA has politicized this too much. I don't want to mix my sports and my politics. I'm not watching the NBA. Uh, just like you heard when Colin Kaepernick and several other players were first taking a knee uh, before NFL games. People saying, I'm, I'm out. I'm not watching the NFL. That's going to affect their ratings because I don't want to mix politics and sports. Well, Major League Baseball's doing it. The NHL is doing it. Uh, you would imagine the NFL, when it starts up here in a couple of weeks, they are also going to have players because Roger Goodell all of a sudden miraculously is saying that he will accept players demonstrating to a certain degree and he's going to be cool with it. It's a, it's a miracle how that happens. But there will also be some element of that there. And so you, you kind of look at those people like, well, you can't avoid it now unless you just decide to cut out sports and your interest in sports altogether out of your life. Uh, and I think that's the important part of this is these are professional athletes who are taking it upon themselves to say, hey, look, it's uncomfortable. This discussion is uncomfortable. But these kinds of demonstrations almost always have to be. Uh, they almost always have to create an uncomfortable discourse or conversation. That's the intention. Uh, the NBA players reportedly did consider canceling the season entirely. You saw reports that the Clippers and the Lakers actually led that opinion in some of the players-only meetings. Do you think continuing to play is the better call? Do you think not playing and, and sort of joining this movement on an individual player basis in a more hands-on fashion would have been the better call? Yeah, it's so interesting because we've had a similar conversation, right? Um, in a lot of different arenas and, and on this podcast even when – when the NBA restart was being formalized, when it was being planned uh, and the whole bubble concept and, and players as prominent as Kyrie Irving, right? Spoke out and, and there were league wide phone calls almost talking about, Hey, is it worth going in? Is it worth sequestering a huge number of the NBA player population uh, and, and leaving the streets, right? Because so many of these NBA players were front and center leading marches leading rallies, uh, whether it was in Washington, D.C., whether it was Malcolm Brogdon doing it, uh, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, members of the Celtics, like driving 15 hours to, to go to their hometowns and, 
and do those kinds of things. And I thought it was a, 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 an absolutely necessary and legitimate conversation. Um, and, and back then I felt one way and I still feel the way today where I, I still think utilizing the platform of nationally, internationally televised games where there are microphones everywhere, where you have ready-made stages for you to go seize. And, and I get it. It's in a bubble, right? And it is, it's tough. And we, we've, we've gotten a little bit of a window into just the mental toll it has taken on a lot of these guys, whether it's Paul George admitting, you know, he was in kind of a dark place um, and, and it impacted his play. And I think that, you know, both sides of things where, where it, his play impacted his mental health and his mental health impacted his play. And, and uh, you, you hear some of the frustrations from some of these players, right. Feeling helpless, feeling sequestered and, and um, you know, in, imprisoned almost in a, in a way. I understand that. And, and that's why I fault nobody for, for opting out of the bubble, for asking to leave the bubble. I, I fault nobody there, but I, I do think the widest net you can cast is the best one, right? The, the widest reach you can reach, is the best way to go about it. And there are still players out there, right? There were eight teams who didn't participate. And sure, you're asking some guys to sacrifice a lot to go ahead and play basketball um, and stay in Orlando and, and stay sequestered from some of their family members and, and from some of their communities. Uh, but I do think that is, a, is something that they shouldn't turn down. To your point, the threat of leaving, I would imagine – rang loudly with ownership and with the league when it came to the NBA. And whether the Lakers and Clippers were 100% ready to walk, it could be. But I think at the very least, it definitely woke them up, right? And so I think what you were talking about, it is imperative. And I think players are seizing this moment to make it loud and clear to their ownership. You got to join the fight. It's not an option to kind of sit this out. We need everybody, right? And at the end of the day, we're talking about billionaires, and we know the influence that those guys have. We need everybody along for the ride. Yeah, I think ironically, the initial decision to play the season, to restart this NBA season, then presented the players with the platform to make the statement that they made just a couple of days ago by deciding not to play. Uh, we are not the guys who should be casting judgment on the best way to go about doing this. But I do think that we can speak objectively about the impact of that decision the other day and and ironically it was afforded because of the fact that that these guys actually did utilize that platform to play and to have the entire world watch that demonstration together all right we move on to another topic and uh, this one is about potential play on the field here in the islands pro rugby at aloha stadium well that's a possibility apparently there's a proposed major league rugby franchise Kanaloa, Hawaii, which is negotiating to secure dates to use Aloha Stadium. They're seeking 8 to 12 dates in 2021. If approved, Kanaloa, Hawaii would become the 14th franchise of Major League Rugby. Jordan, are you in for some pro rugby in the islands? Yeah, absolutely, right? Uh, we know how big rugby is in Polynesia, really in Pacific Islander communities, right? All the way down to, to New Zealand and, and the All Blacks. And, and there are a handful of former All Blacks players, including a couple like all-time legends who are backing this project. I don't know exactly what their financial investment is in this Kanaloa Hawaii project, um, but they have definitely lended themselves their name uh, backing this thing. Uh, Major League Rugby already has quite a bit of Hawaii sprinkled across their teams, um, including Vili Tolutau, who's, you know, a, a Baldwin graduate who has won multiple championships already with the Seattle Seawolves. 
uh, of Major League Rugby. So there, there are some tangible Hawaii connections, no doubt. Rugby is growing in the United States. It is surely blossoming here in Hawaii uh, with a number of kids uh, playing it, you know, all the way down to the, the little kid level. Uh, so, yeah, this would be awesome. You know, I, I think it is an opportunity, I think, to drum up the support of, of maybe Polynesia uh, into American rugby, if you will, uh, and get a lot of support from from the rest of the islands scattered across the Pacific, maybe um, into this American league. It won't be just a Hawaii team, I think, when you really look at it. Uh, so, yeah, this is, I, I think this would be pretty awesome if they can make it work. Yeah, again, these games wouldn't be played until 2021. Hopefully, mm -hmm. after all of this COVID stuff has passed us by. Uh, but you're right. There's such a strong Polynesian influence uh, on just the game of rugby. Uh, you mentioned the Seawolves and, and Tolotau. You also have Joey Yosefa, I think, that re-signed uh, with the Seawolves. Yeah, that's right. University of Hawaii running back. So, uh, yeah, I think there would be sort of that natural fit in terms of how this league is comprised. The travel is the big challenge, but maybe under these circumstances with the airlines being so stressed with regard to the 2021 season, maybe now's the time to cut one of those types of sponsorship deals. I don't know. That will always be the primary challenge is trying to account for the travel aspect and expenses. And there are a whole lot of players who play both football and some form of rugby here in Hawaii. And so you talk about like an open tryout for a team like that, dude, you would get some guys that show up uh, ready to compete. And I think that that would be really interesting depending on what the final composition of that roster may look like. All right, let's get to our Domino's Hawaii main topic. And that is our discussion with Matt Newman's editor for the Vegas stats and information network, ESPN sports betting contributor at the forefront in many ways of this metamorphosis and how sports gambling is accepted in the mainstream media in this country. Let's go ahead and play that interview with Matt. Hey Matt, good to see you. Good to talk with you. Uh, we talk pretty regularly over the course of our time uh, with the radio show. And, and now sort of as we transition into the podcast, uh, first time having you on as a podcast guest uh, over there in Vegas, where they are experiencing the unique nature of this sports year uh, from a totally different perspective. And, and I was just kind of curious, first off, you know, hope all is well at your, on your end. And just kind of curious as how Vegas is, is dealing and, and strategically going about all of this craziness where you have starting and stopping of sports and a lot of uncertainty as to whether or not certain sports or leagues are even going to be played here going forward. Yeah, it's obviously a very annoying thing for a lot of sports book directors and a lot of betters because we've never, this is unprecedented and nobody really knows exactly how to deal with it the right way. So I think we're kind of figuring this thing out on the fly. And, uh, you know, it's true for everybody. But what the, what the books have basically done to adjust with this, first of all, there were so many wrinkles and rules, uh, you know, and, and win totals, NBA win totals, and, you know, hockey bets and futures, and um, so many things that were kind of disputed because uh, the seasons were interrupted or the seasons were not completed. And uh, there were bets that had to be refunded. I mean, I had NBA win total bets. Uh, two of them that were going to be sure winners. And uh, those were refunded because they didn't, you know, play 80 games. 82-game season, you have to play 80 for the uh, bets to be official and never got there. And there were a lot of things. I mean, there were so many things like that. I could talk to you for an hour about all the crazy stuff that's happened with rules on bets and refunds and things. And, you know, it's 
frustrating for everybody involved. But now, I mean, you look at the last couple of days with the hockey and the NBA postponements and baseball postponements, you know, a lot of betters had tickets in their hands on those games and uh, series tickets or individual game tickets. What a lot of the books did as far as the NBA was just take everything off the board and say, all right, if you got a ticket in your hand, it's a refund. We're taking everything down until we know that the schedule is going to be, um, you know, confirmed again by the league, which it is now for, I think, Saturday is going to be the resumption of the NBA playoffs. And then the books, probably some point today on Friday, will put everything back up on the board and uh, bets will be live again. But there's, there have been so many strange situations. And with football, think about college football. If you've got college football futures, uh, you know, some of the teams obviously have to be refunds because they're probably not going to play at all in the fall if you bet a Pac-12 team or something like that. I'm not sure why you would ever bet a Pac-12 team to win the college football national championship. <laughs> but uh, some people do crazy things at the sports book. And, uh, you know, so you're going to have refunds like that. Because they're also um, – it, it's just an odd situation because it says, uh, you know, all bets are action. And there are different ways you can interpret those rules in terms of uh, college football because some teams are going to play. SEC, ACC, Big 12, a couple other conferences might try to play. Now we're hearing the Big 10 might try to start its season in November. So how do you interpret the rules on a college football futures bet like that when you have no idea what the playoff format is going like, to look like? Is there going to be a bowl season? I mean, it's just it's mass confusion, chaos in a lot of ways. And you just kind of figure it out step by step how to deal with it, but it's uh, put an asterisk next to the entire year of 2020, right? I mean, this is just, uh, it just gets stranger all the time. It, That's for sure. I I'm wondering because of that, you know, the, sort of the, the supply and demand aspect of sports betting, uh, has it been more of a discouraging factor? And you mentioned the resumption of the NBA, say, tomorrow. Uh, are we likely to see more people just piling in because, hey, look, these are some of the only games available to bet on, or has it been more of a discouraging factor for people? Do you see that it's kind of action? No, that's a great question because what's the psychology of people, right, when you have uh, basically three or four months off where you can't place a bet? You know, unless you bet UFC or golf, you weren't betting anything over the summer. Fortunately, all three of us like to bet golf, so uh, we were in action, and the UFC is pretty good to bet as well, so – that kept us alive during the summer and, you know, kind of bridged the gap until we got here. But for a lot of people, especially if you didn't have a phone account or a bookie, you didn't get a bet in for about three or four months. And what we've seen in August is uh, basically a hunger for action from the betting public. Uh, just an appetite for action that's uh, off the charts. I mean, especially when you bring back the NBA playoffs, <clears throat> NHL playoffs, and you have baseball at the same time. This is the biggest August in history for the sports betting handle in Las Vegas. And I don't think that should come as a shock to a lot of people just because of what's going on. With We've never had playoffs like this, you know, at this time of year. Usually it's the NFL preseason and baseball action, and that's it. Uh, but with the baseball and hockey playoffs, excuse me, basketball and hockey playoffs plus baseball season, and the fact that so many betters are just starving to uh, for action – we, the handle has been off the charts. And actually, the win percentage has been up, too, because you have a lot of people betting things they shouldn't be betting. And uh, that's a different story. But, no, August is just going to be the biggest August ever in Las Vegas. And uh, <clears throat> hopefully September and October 
are very similar because if you look at the sports calendar for the next two months, it's going to be even more jammed uh, with uh, big events. So hopefully, you know, I, I always I compare it to the movie uh, The Shawshank Redemption, where um, Tim Robbins had to swim through 500 miles of, or 500 yards of sewage to get to freedom. That's kind of what we all had to do here in um, April, May, June, and July to get back uh, to a regular sports world, right? And a lot of these people, when they got to August, just could not wait to get to the sports book and start firing away. Maybe we can get Morgan Freeman to uh, to narrate a little bit of the, <laughs> the, the story when it's all said and done. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, it was pretty barren there for a while. I'm kind of curious, can you take us back to – you know, March, April, when everything shuts down and, and, and maybe the, the legal books in, in Vegas were kind of closed down and you had some, some ability via, via phone accounts and, and guys are looking offshore and, and whatnot and some other options. But I, what was that like? I mean, you heard everything from Ukrainian ping pong to, to rugby and faraway lands and things like that. But what, what, was, what was the sporting world like through the, the sports betting lens uh, when it seemed like nothing was going on? But really, there wasn't much going on. Uh, like you said, you had uh, you had ping pong in Russia. <laughs> I can't believe people were betting that, but they were. You had to basically have a, a William Hill phone app to be playing that because William Hill was the only book putting that up. So if you didn't have that app on your phone, you didn't have a shot really to bet it. Maybe uh, maybe if you had a couple of offshore accounts. I don't know. I, I, I know a few people who were betting it, but I thought they were insane to be playing it because you didn't even – uh, you didn't know anything about these players, and it was hard to even find the scores posted. Well, you know what? So we did shows at VSIN, and we cut our broadcasting hours back to seven hours a day from 17. It was a challenge, really challenged for us to find enough content for a three-hour morning show. You know, in the third hour, we would have to repeat some of the stuff from the first two hours. There's not enough to talk about. In that first month, we talked about the NFL draft at length every day. Uh, you know, that that's what kept us going for about a month was the NFL draft. You can always talk about NFL futures and uh, speculate on college football and things like that. But the more you speculate about seasons, it just gets old. I think the, uh, the NFL draft was a big key. And then once that passed, you got UFC was uh, front and center. I mean, the UFC kept us, kept us going, too, for about a month. And then you had the golf restart. So you had a, we got through it. There was European soccer, if you're into that sort of thing. A lot of, you know, there was soccer all over the world in some little leagues. And there was uh, Korean baseball. A lot of people got into Korean baseball, as well as Russian ping pong. More people got into Korean baseball. So that was a diversion. Uh, I got to tell you, the strangest part was I would go into the studio at the South Point Casino. And you've been there, Jordan. And um, it was closed off to the public. So I'd have to go through the employee entrance and there was nobody in the entire hotel casino except for a few people cleaning and some security guards. And that was it, you know, like maybe 10 people maybe in the casino. And I'd walk in there at, you know, three in the morning and we would start to show at four in the morning and the sports book's completely dark and there's nobody in there. And when I'm driving out there at night, you drive, I drive by the strip and the strip's completely dark. I mean, it's just, it's eerie. It's, it was seriously like, uh, you guys can imagine what it was like. And it's, you know, been similar with uh, no visitors in Hawaii. It's, it's just like a, a weird movie about Armageddon or something. You're like, you know, what is going on? Hopefully uh, things start to get back to normal pretty soon. I think it's going to feel more normal when the NFL season starts September 10th. 
you know, for a lot of sports bettors, when you get finally get football back, I think we're going to start to feel like life is getting back to normal, even though we're not going to have a full college football schedule. Yeah, cross our fingers, right? Uh, we're less than two weeks away from the NFL kickoff, as crazy as that is to say. Um, you mentioned Vegas. Uh, we love Vegas. People in Hawaii are very fond. Uh, that's no secret of the Ninth Island. What is what is the day-to-day life there like now? Just the, the usual hustle and bustle that we're used to seeing. What, what is that compared? I mean, we just saw, I think, earlier today, MGM, the news was, you know, they're laying off a bunch of people. Uh, somewhere north of like 15,000. I don't know how much are directly in Vegas, but, uh, you know, we, we all know people that live up there in, in addition to you. But what, what's life like up there nowadays? Well, I guess it depends what your lifestyle is like. Uh, if, if you're one of those people who likes to hang out in the casinos and gamble, then life is completely turned upside down. Because if you walk into a casino to play video poker or play at the tables, you have to wear a mask. You have dealers wearing face shields. You have plastic partitions separating people. It's, you know, in the social distancing aspect, everything's very strange. I keep using that word a lot, but that sums up the entire year. It's just strange, bizarre, whatever you want to call it. That's what it's like to uh, walk in a Vegas casino at this point. Uh, I don't do a whole lot of that, especially, especially at this time of the year, because you don't want to be around a lot of people uh, necessarily. I don't find it too enjoyable to walk around the casinos wearing a mask and um, feeling like you're in a bubble. Uh, I, I think what a lot of people have done is revert to or divert to outdoor activities. You know, if you play golf, that's great. That's one of the best things in the world. If, if you're somebody who enjoys playing golf, we got 40 golf courses in Las Vegas. You can get outside and you can do that, enjoy uh, the weather. And that's basically what I try to do about every day because you kind of want to just avoid big crowds of people and, uh, and uh, I don't know, find ways to uh, entertain yourself without hanging out at the casino. So I, I've had people ask me, I had two people ask me yesterday, one from New York, one from um, Indiana, hey, do you think it's good to come out to Vegas now? Should I come out and visit? And I said, nah, I, I wouldn't recommend it. And I hate to say that because you want to tell people, yeah, come on out. Everything's cool. I don't want them to come out here and realize, oh, you know, this kind of sucks. No strip clubs are open. You know, bars are clo- bars are still closed. Uh, really, your entertainment options are very limited if you're a guy coming out to Las Vegas at this point in time. If you want to come out for the football season and hit the sports books, that's great. But uh, if you do that, you better have a phone app when you get here too because think about it, with the social distancing, the sports books have to keep the capacity down. So you're going to be able you- – well, allow fewer people into the sports books. It's going to be tougher to get up to the windows to get your bets in. So really what you need to do is get a couple of uh, phone apps at casinos and kind of avoid the sports books if you can and just bet on your phone and find a place to watch the game. It's, it's a lot different. Everything's very, very different uh, when you're hanging around the casinos. And I don't think it's going to be the same again until 2021, to be honest, because really, if you think about what does Vegas revolve around, it's, it's nightclubs, action in casinos and strip clubs and things like that for people who are coming out and want to have a good time. And that's all essentially shut down right now. I mean, would you guys want to come out here and start playing table games when you got to sit at a table for two hours wearing a mask and the dealer's got a face shield and you got plastic partitions around you and everything? That's, you know, people just don't find that entertaining. And I understand that I have not sat down at a table to gamble 
probably in the last six months. Yeah, well, I mean, we can't even, at least on the island of Oahu, golf at the moment. So maybe it's worth going up to oh, Vegas just to be able wow. to get on the uh, golf course uh, since they reestablished. Well, for two weeks, they reestablished okay. the uh, shutdown there. So, okay. yeah. So it's worth maybe going up there just to play golf, ironically. Yeah, just, I guess so. I guess you could do that because, like I said, we got 30 or 40 golf courses open. I play almost every day. So come on over. Yeah, well, that, that does sound pretty good. We're talking with Matt Humans, editor for the Vegas Stats and Information Network, ESPN Sports Betting contributor. Uh, you touched on it a little bit, but what about with all of this and, and with all of these forms of, of standard recreation and entertainment in Vegas, what about the, the capacity to survive this? Are we going to see long-term shutdowns of certain hotels or casinos or operations? Are you hearing any of that stuff? over there in Vegas? Yeah, I definitely think there's going to be some long-term damage done. I mean, right now the Palms, the entire Palms Hotel is shut down. You know, if you think about that, that's a, that's a major development. And uh, the Palms is probably going to be sold, and who knows what's going to happen to that. You know, the hotels like the Rio, you never know what the future is going to be, and there's some places on the Strip that are going to change hands, and uh, it's going to be a lot different. I, I, I think – you know, the housing market here is going to be really interesting to watch as well, because you're going to have, you're talking, one of you guys mentioned all the, the layoffs at MGM resorts. Just think about all the executives at the casinos or all the people at the casinos who were making good money before and all of a sudden they're laid off and they live in these big houses, you know, outside out in Summerlin or wherever there's going to be all sorts of foreclosures. This market's going to, I've heard from people saying the housing market's going to be severely affected. It's going to crash maybe in the winter or spring. If you want to buy a house, wait six months because there's going to be so many foreclosures. A lot of people are not going to be able to pay their mortgages, right? There have been so many people out of work. Uh, I know, I, I really think at this point, I know more people who have not worked since March than who have worked. There have been a lot of people who haven't worked a day since middle of March. They've been collecting unemployment or just not getting paid at all. And uh, that's going to that's gonna have a long-term effect on a lot of people, the housing market. The casino scene's going to look – think about all the revenue lost with the nightclubs, you know, and uh, that, that's a major source of revenue for a lot of uh, resorts on the Strip. And it's just uh, – and, you know, room rates have fallen, room occupancy is falling. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of long-term damage. I'm not an expert to say how much or what exactly is going to happen, but I think it's going to be something that's going to be felt for at least two or three – it's probably going to take two – I would say a couple of years at least to make a – you know, a recovery to the point where you could feel like, well, things are back to normal again, I would say at least a couple of years, right? You know, and it's ironic because this was supposed to be a time to sort of celebrate the kickoff of NFL football hosted in Las Vegas and the Raiders yeah. making the move in the brand new shiny stadium. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. What has to this point been the impact of, of the Raiders on the city uh, and and what does it portend, you think, here for this upcoming season that, as Jordan mentioned, is just around the corner? This was going to be an electric football season in Las Vegas. Week two, you got Drew Brees and the Saints coming in for Monday night football. You had uh, Tom Brady and the Bucks coming in for Sunday night football. The, the, every game was sold out. Uh, it was just going to be an amazing sort of football season here, and I think the Raiders are going to benefit from that. Uh, you know, with their home field advantage and the fact the crowds are going to be electric in every game. And uh, now they have they don't have that. You're going to be playing an empty stadium. The stadium looks great, by the way. And you guys get here and see it. It looks phenomenal. But it's going to be empty. 
maybe there'll be some fans tailgating out in the parking lot, but um, it's essentially going to be empty on the inside. I don't think to Mark Davis, the owner said going to have no fans at the games. I thought maybe at some point, if uh, COVID-19 testing procedures changed, you might be able to get, you know, 20,000 fans into the stadium. Who knows? Like some of these college teams are talking about doing some NFL teams are going to do that too. But uh, as of now, the Las Vegas football stadium is going to be empty. And, um, that's just going to be uh, another bizarro scene when you when you're watching uh, Monday Night Football in Week Two and you see uh, the Saints and Raiders playing in Vegas in an empty stadium. I don't, I don't know how they're going to make that atmosphere seem a little bit more normal, but yeah, that's that's another disappointing aspect of this whole thing. All the buildup it was like three or four years of buildup to this first Raiders season in Las Vegas. Now all of a sudden nobody can go to the games. And UNLV football was going to have a nice stadium for the first time ever and uh, had a you know a couple Pac-12 opponents coming in, had a great home schedule, and now you know UNLV doesn't even have a football season. Uh, so, I, you know, that's disappointing for a lot of people. I don't want to use the word depressing because I think we, we all kind of got through the depressing stage maybe in April, May, and June, and now you just kind of deal with it. Like, uh, okay, most things suck. We figured out how to deal with it. Let's just make the best of it. Uh, but the Raiders season is going to be uh, uh, unprecedented for a, a new franchise and a new stadium and no fans in attendance. It's going to be strange to watch. And the same, actually, you know what? Same thing's going to happen with the, the Rams and the Chargers in L.A. Even though they've been in L.A. already, they've got an awesome new stadium that's going to open up and nobody's going to be in that stadium too. So it's, uh, I don't know. I've, we've seen some of these sports made for TV events work, right? I actually love golf without fans. I don't even really care if, if I ever see fans at golf events again. It's just great to watch golf on TV and bet it. And uh, the lack of fans doesn't bother me. I get sick of guys yelling every time Tiger Woods takes a swing, you know, like in the hole, you the man. I don't miss that stuff. I don't miss fans at golf events. Probably, yeah, UFC. UFC's found a way to make the uh, broadcast really entertaining without fans. Everything should be better when fans return, but uh, these made-for-TV events like the NBA and the NHL playoffs, not bad, right? I mean, you guys probably you guys watch all the games. Everybody here watches them, bets them. We don't really miss the fans. It would be great when fans come back, but I think the number one thing you hit on was the thing that disappoints people in Las Vegas the most as we get to, towards football season is you got that stadium sitting right there off I-15 and UNLV and the Raiders were going to play big games in there every week, and now nobody can go. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's a UNLV program that, uh, under a new head coach. They seem to be really making some headway, including on the recruiting front. Uh, the Raiders, how, how good do you expect them to be? Uh, it will be a lot easier for folks, I think, to get behind that team. Uh, should, they, should they win some football games? It's a tough division, no doubt about it, when you include the you know, defending Super Bowl champs, but uh, how good do you expect them to be? And, and who do you expect to, to be the guy taking snaps? Is it going to be Mariota or is it going to be Carr still? Well, that's a good question. Okay, so if, if the Raiders had fans at all their home games this season, I would not be uh, so eager to bet against them in terms of the season win total. But I actually like the Raiders' uh, season win total under seven and a half. And a, a, a big reason I like it under – is if you look at the schedule and what the Raiders face, first six weeks, okay, at Carolina, when you play an early kickoff on the East Coast, you know, Matt Rule is going to do a good job with the Panthers and Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. That team's going to be improved. 
You have to open at Carolina. You're a slight favorite, basically a two-point favorite. That's your most winnable game in the first six weeks. Uh, the next five weeks, the Raiders are home against the Saints, at New England, home against Buffalo, at Kansas City, home against Tampa Bay. All right, so I don't see how this team gets to 8-8 eight and eight or better with no fans in the stadium. I thought the fans were going to be a big, you know, energy boost in terms of um, – the home field advantage for the Raiders. And now you don't have that. And you look at the schedule and you say, I still think this team is a year away. And I, I think the quarterback position is going to be an issue too. So right now, Mike Mayock, John Gruden are saying all the right things about Derek Carr. You know, he's taking control in the off season. He's a great leader. He's did blah, blah, blah. They cannot wait to switch to Marcus Mariota quarterback. And if the Raiders stumble in that first six weeks, and let's say they're two and four, I expect to see a quarterback change no later than, you know, week seven, week eight. Because Gruden and Mayock loved Mariota before the draft. So did I. Uh, I was a big Mariota guy before that draft. I said he should have been the number one pick. He really hasn't played up to expectations. Uh, he's, he's shown flashes. I think, you know, it's too early to uh, say that, He's been a failure just because he didn't work out in Tennessee. Sometimes it's the environment you're in. He did win a playoff game, right? So at least he's done something. Mariota has accomplished some positive things. He's shown the ability that he could be a pretty good starting quarterback. Sometimes you just have to be in the right system with the right coaches, right personnel around you. I think Gruden and Mayock can't wait to see. They really can't wait to see what Mariota can do in this offense because he's got a lot more mobility than Derek Carr, and they feel like he's – Got more playmaking potential. So the bottom line what I'm getting to, and what I said is if the Raiders stumble in those first six games, watch for a quarterback change because I really think Mayock and Gruden both want Marcus Mariota to be the quarterback of the future for the Raiders. And I believe that. You know, you, you can't take statements uh, that these guys make to the media. Um, with a, You have to take them with a grain of salt, right? Because they, they want to try to pretend like they're putting their faith in Derek Carr and everything – is in Derek Carr's hands, and they have confidence in him, and he's a franchise quarterback. But believe me, once Carr slips and starts to fail a little bit and the Raiders are 2-4 and four or something like that, they're going to make the switch. They can't wait to make the switch to Mariota. So I think that's going to be something to really watch this season. Derek Carr is definitely going to start to open the season, you know, health permitting. But Mariota is going to get his shot. I think it's very similar to what Mariota faced last year in Tennessee when they brought in Ryan Tannehill. And when things weren't going right, uh, Mike Vrabel said, hey, we got to make the switch. Uh, so the switch has made the Tannehill, and look, look what happened. The Titans turned around their season. A lot of times that can happen with a backup quarterback, and I think that's the Raiders' plan. Is that, hey, if things aren't going well, we're going to go to uh, Marcus Mariota. And, you know, the second half of that schedule is uh, much more hospitable. So if Mariota takes over at some point, he's going to have a better chance, I think, to win games and kind of turn the Raiders' season around. I still think it's going to be a 6-10 or 7-9 type of team to schedule. To me, it's just a little bit too difficult with really no true home field advantage for the Raiders to get to 8-8 eight eight or better. But I think there's going to be a, a switch of quarterback made at some point. Yeah, a lot of Hawaii people going to be interested in that race. A lot of Raiders fans here as well. Uh, you mentioned Gruden and, and Mayock. What do you assess of, of the job they've done up to this point in, in building that roster a couple of years in now? They make the move. Uh, but what do you, what do you uh, assess of, of where the Raiders are at kind of here? 
You know, I think they've made improvements. Uh, have they closed the gap significantly on the Kansas City Chiefs? I'd say no. Uh, you know, it's it's a one-horse race in the AFC West. You guys realize the last four years in, the, in that division, the Chiefs are 22-2. and two. Uh, So it's a, it's a pretty big gap that the uh, Broncos, the Raiders, and the Chargers have to close to catch the Chiefs. But I do think all three teams are closing the gap. I, I really feel like the Broncos are better. Their defense is going to be legit this year, and they've added a lot of playmakers on offense. One of the problems with the Broncos you know, when you're handicapping a team like this, there's no off-season program, no NFL preseason. They got a lot of young guys on the offensive side of the ball they're counting on to make plays. How is the factors, you know, no off-season work essentially going to impact those guys? I think it's going to hurt, you know, an offense like the Broncos. Uh, maybe same thing with the Chargers. They have a new quarterback in Tyrod Taylor, so you don't have an off-season, you know, what the Chiefs' advantage is, they basically bring back – their offense and defense intact. We rarely see that with a Super Bowl winner, but the Chiefs are essentially bringing everything back, almost everything back on both sides of the ball. So that's their advantage. Um, I'm not sure these teams have uh, closed the gap enough on the on the Chiefs to uh, make it that interesting in the AFC West. Like I said, that's that's amazing when you think about it. 22 and two over four years in the division. They look like they're going to be a dynasty. And, you know, it's so hard, so difficult to build a dynasty in, in the uh, NFL. But with Patrick Mahomes as the best player in the league, uh, the Chiefs are going to be there near the top for a long time, you would think. We always like to ask you before we sort of wrap things up with you, we always like to try to get a few nuggets, maybe one or two nuggets, things to look for for any of the listeners out there as far as things to, to be on the lookout for here as we get going with the NFL. I've got a lot of them. That's what I've been working on every day for the past three weeks, essentially uh, really working on NFL stuff. So I said the Raiders are under seven and a half. That's one of my favorite win total bets, actually. Uh, I've made two Super Bowl futures bets, one on the Ravens at seven to one, one on the Cowboys at 15 to one. I kind of feel like the, in the NFC, you can make a case for about seven teams. But I, I went through the Cowboys depth chart position by position. And I think they're the most talented team in the league, believe it or not. More talented right there with the Chiefs, maybe more talented than the Chiefs. The Cowboys are so much more talented than the Patriots. It's uh, on paper, if you look at it. The Cowboys don't have an excuse this year. It's been Jason Garrett in the past, right? Everybody says Garrett's holding the team back. Now you switch to Mike McCarthy. I think he's made some smart moves with assistant coaches he's hired. I like the Cowboys coaching staff a lot better. If you look at last season, the Cowboys – I think went 0-5 in games decided by seven points or fewer. Didn't win any close games. This year they face uh, five – they have five games against opponents projected to win fewer than seven games on the win total when you're looking at the Giants, the Redskins, and the Bengals. A lot of sharp money is showing over the Cowboys over nine-and-a-half wins on the Cowboys. I like that bet a lot. It's one of my favorite bets. I think this is not – the Cowboys have been talented underachievers for years, right? Uh, this is a year I think they can win 10 or more games. That, that division's pretty bad at the bottom. The Cowboys have all the talent. And even if Dak Prescott goes down, when you're betting futures, you got to say who's the backup quarter. Andy Dalton's a pretty good backup plan at quarterback. And they could still win games with him if Prescott goes down. The Cowboys got so much talent. They have to win 10 or more games. So I'll play that over nine and a half, a couple of Super Bowl futures. And um, I don't see how – I don't see how the Redskins, excuse me, the Washington football team and the um, 
the Jaguars are not the two worst teams in the league this year. I, you hate to say play the lowest win totals under, but the Jaguars, I, I really believe, and you're seeing it in a lot of their personnel moves, they're tanking because they want the top draft pick to get Trevor Lawrence, right? That's actually a very smart move for the future of the franchise uh, because the NFL is so much about quarterback play. I think if you're looking at the Jaguars' win total, you have to play it under. It, it's a smart strategy to try to lose and get the top pick and get Trevor Lawrence from Clemson because that will set you up for hopefully success for the next, you know, five to ten years if, um, if you get Trevor Lawrence. If not, you're, who knows? You're going to continue being the Jaguars and lose every year. Think about the Philadelphia 76ers, what they just went through with the process. They lost for years and years and years to compile these draft picks and it blew up in their face. It didn't work. All the Jaguars have to do is lose this year and get the number one pick in Trevor Lawrence, and they're on the right track. Uh, you know, why should the Jags try to win six games and get the uh, fifth pick when you should win two games and get the number one pick? So uh, the Jaguars are going to be bad. The Washington football team is going to be bad. The talent, the receiver, the offensive playmaking talents like non-existent for Washington. So those are going to be the two worst teams in the league. Uh, I do like the Raiders under. Like I said, I like the, the Cowboys over. Be very careful about betting over the total on any teams. Like the Chiefs win total is 12 at the South Point Sportsbook. I would bet under 12 on the Chiefs just because, you know, the AFC West, the other teams should be a little bit better. Home field advantage in Kansas City is not going to be the same. And the Chiefs actually have a, a pretty difficult road schedule if you look at it. Uh, I don't think they could get to 13 wins. And once you win a Super Bowl, the edge is kind of taken off, right? You're not as hungry as you were the year before. I'd play Kansas City under 12, even though the public is going to think the Chiefs are going to be unbeatable. I don't look at them that way. So I've got a long list of futures bets. We've, we've actually, at VSIN, got a pro football betting guide coming out Monday uh, with a lot of – we'll have win totals on every team, some prop bets and things like that you can look at. But um, you have to be careful in a season like this of betting overs and being too optimistic because we have no idea what's going to happen with players being scratched, you know, the week of the game, the day before the game. There's so many oddball things that could happen that you have to take all that into account as a handicapper. Always consider the worst-case scenario when you're making bets this year. Well, uh, it makes your job perhaps a little more difficult, but also pretty interesting. And, and we always find uh, our conversations with you, Matt, of the utmost interest. And, and we appreciate you being so generous with your time. Uh, always a pleasure talking with you. And uh, can't wait to uh, hopefully visit you up there in Vegas sometime soon or, or have you down here uh, in the islands uh, on Maui, maybe for the Invitational again sometime soon. Well, let's hope so. You guys do a great job out there. Both of you guys are highly respected. I appreciate uh conversations with you and hopefully you can get here and play golf if not hopefully i'll be out there in november for the maui invitational and see you on the sidelines talking to ticked off coaches like sean miller <laughs> that's the hope fingers crossed hey thanks a lot matt take care all right thanks once again to matt humans for jumping on with us check him out on twitter he's a great follow good guy to talk to we always appreciate his time Time now for our post game and our best and worst brought to you for the first time, Jordan, by Waste Pro Hawaii, Maui's premier full service refuse company offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll off containers for commercial construction and residential use. Family owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community, Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit WasteProHawaii.com for services information all right what is your best for this episode of the pod 
Yeah, my best. Um, it's kind of a loose best, I guess, but uh, Barcelona, Lionel Messi, right? I don't know if you've seen some of the reports. He, he reportedly wants out of Barca. This is where he's played for most of his uh, adult career going over as a, as a youth academy member, basically. Um, their president, Joseph Maria Bartomeu, um, reportedly has said he will resign if Messi says he'll stay. And so that just baffles me. Like, that's how, that's how big Leo Messi is. That's how important he is, that the president of the club, and it's a little different structure there in sort of how these clubs are built, um, in some of these old clubs. It's not sort of the traditional, you know, American ownership, singular guy, top down. They got a board of directors. They got a whole deal. Uh, but he's basically saying, I'll leave. I'll, if Leo wants to stay and I'm the proud, I'll leave. Don't worry. Don't worry, guys. I'll, I'll leave. Can you imagine, like, Dan Gilbert? Back when LeBron in 2010, LeBron's <laughs> shopping himself around, right? He's like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I'm staying in Cleveland. All the reports are he can't get along with Dan Gilbert, uh, especially after that litter, after the fact. Can you imagine if he, and again, it's not a perfect parallel to the structure of how Barcelona is built, but can you imagine Dan Gilbert being like, hey, LeBron, I'll just, I'll give the, I'll give it to my son. I'll give the team to my son. I'll just go into the background. I'll just worry about quick and loans um, if you stay. Can you imagine like an American team doing that we're like yeah i'll resign if if uh the the once in a generation talent wants to stay i just thought that was wild that is pretty crazy that's for sure my best you know we're sponsored for the first time here on this segment by waste pro hawaii right here on maui my best has to do with a maui surfer billy kemper of haiku claimed the big wave ride of the year honor part of the red bull big wave awards being passed out over the last few weeks snagged a massive ride you can check the video out online at Jaws Peahi back in January. The wave was massive, uh, but he also got a deep barrel on this thing and came out like styling, pumping his arms. I think he knew he was already nominated at that point for this award. Uh, Paige Alms of Maui, interestingly enough, also claimed the women's paddle of the year, a paddling wave that took place at Jaws in December. So big props, my best to Billy and Paige, a couple of our favorite surfers uh, right here on the Valley Isle. I still haven't wrapped, we've talked to them multiple times. I still haven't wrapped my brain around what it takes to just, you know, paddle in or even tow in to these monster walls of water. It's hard to imagine that we actually are part of the same species as those individuals, because that is a level of craziness and courage that uh, I can't even imagine. So you're right. Uh, Well-deserved award for Billy Kemper. All right, let's get to our worst. What's your worst, Jordan? Yeah, my worst, uh, sorry to rub in a a sore spot, but I, I just thought this was hilarious. Uh, I'm sure you've seen like the Brody Van Wagenen tape uh-huh. from yesterday, which kind of was leaked. And it, it, he's clearly talking about Brad Madford, but then he tried to spin it and said it was about the Wilpons, uh, basically saying like, they don't get it. They don't get right. There was some, they wanted, somebody wanted the Mets to, to come out, do a little thing at seven ten for first pitch and then walk off the field later. Like it was this whole grandstand. I don't know. It was a whole mess. The game ended up being canceled. What was it, the Mets and the Marlins? I think yesterday, they, they came out, moment of 42 seconds, and then walked off the field. Totally within their right, totally, I think, planned by the players. Uh, but somebody in upper management, whether it was in the Mets or Rob Manford, the commissioner of baseball himself, uh, was getting chastised by Brody Van Wagenen, who I don't think he knew he was being recorded. Um, and then, that's not the worst part. Like, it's like, oh, okay, well, this could, this could be kind of interesting and juicy. Uh, the... The statements put out by Jeff and Fred Wilpon, the Mets ownership, the father and son, saying after Brody Van Wagenen tried to spin it and say he was talking about the Mets within internally, um, they basically said, like, they basically threw Brody Van Wagenen under the bus 
and both of them misspelled Brody. <laughs> That's my worst. Yeah. And so you've got this infighting. You've got the bickering within the Mets organization. Nobody, no shocker there. This could go all the way to the level of the commissioner's office. But all that being said, they misspelled their own general manager's name. It's like, oh, they, they spelled it with a Y. It's with an I-E, Brody Van Wagenen. So I just I thought that was, man, the Mets, right? The Mets are a mess. They should actually change the T to an S here for this season because it has just been uh, out of whack. All right, my worst, I'm going with Golden State Warriors announcer Bob Fitzgerald, who has also been doing play-by-play work on TNT's NBA coverage. He was calling the Rockets Thunder series with Jimmy Jackson. Uh, And during the game or one of the broadcasts, the subject of Houston missing 27 straight three-point attempts, you remember that, versus the Warriors in Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals in 2018 came up. And Bob commented that had it not been for that, quote, I would have one less ring, is what Bob Fitzgerald said. Like, as if he had, you know... Anything to do with the winning of that ring. Like, it is just, I, I, as an announcer, that is one of the things I just cannot stand. It is an absolute pet peeve when we in the media try to insert ourselves as though we had, like, something to do with any of this or that we are on the level of importance as the actual participants or competitors in these events. Like, it's just ridiculous. But uh, not too surprising, this is the same guy who referred to Spurs fans on the air as, quote, jerk-off fans when they were getting in on his camera shot at a game that was being broadcast in San Antonio. So uh, Bob Fitzgerald, uh, looking more like sideshow Bob Fitzgerald. Big-time clown move there. You could almost say that uh, the term he used for the Spurs fans, he could use for himself as a, <laughs> as a fan, just kind of inserted him. I was actually watching this game live the other day. And I knew it was Jimmy Jackson. I didn't know who the play-by-play guy was. And that, that topic came up, and I'm, I'm kind of half watching, half sort of doing some work on the side. And I hear that. And I'm like, wait, what? And so I was like, wait, who's, who's calling this game? I thought it was like a player's broadcast. You know how TNT and NBA TV, they do the player's broadcast where they don't have an actual traditional play-by-play guy and it's just players. I was like, oh, who's – they got, you know, like Leandro Barbosa or somebody retired now like doing the game. And so I had to Google it to look up what the broadcasting, you know, assignments were for that day. Found it online and realized, oh, it was Bob Fitzgerald. And I had the same reaction. And I was like, you got to be kidding me, man. I have no problem with teams, including, you know, their broadcast, right? They're all intertwined. Heck, a lot of those broadcasters are employed sort of by the organization, especially on the radio side. Um, and so, like, giving out rings to, to employees and things like that and folks are sort of, like, that's no problem. Um, but you didn't win it. Come on. Do you think Vin Scully ever tells people, like, if it wasn't for that Kurt Gibson home run, I wouldn't have that ring? Like, no way. Like, that's just not the way that announcers or members of the media should think. Uh, and, yeah, I, I agree with you. It is a uh, big time, as mentioned, clown move by Sideshow Bob Fitzgerald. All right, that's our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii. Maui owned, Maui operated for Maui's people. And that does it for this episode of the show. Thanks once again to Matt Humans. Hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helley, or at TalkSports808. Jordan, until next time, have a good one, bro. See you.